to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL, that's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L, and Believe.com. This week, we talk about the new map pool for competitive, the new colors the Florida Mayhem will be rocking this season, and the new changes coming to the Overwatch League talent roster. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast, which um, I guess really cool is it's also episode 20, so we're starting off 2020 with a 20. Yay for these numerical coincidences. Coincidences, indeed. How is, uh, how is your New Year's, Kevin? Uh, it, it's been going all right. Um, there are a couple of family... Uh, troubles i guess i could say Uh, my grandma passed away early in uh december and today we had her burial so yeah it's not not the brightest of things but like you know uh, at least we we can't start we we could only go uphill from from now so i i guess that's a it's a good way of looking at it um but yeah my grandma would have been really proud to know that i'm like pursuing esports and doing something that i love to do um so that that's what i got this season you follow that dream how about you uh for me uh it's kind of been kind of been not much i haven't really done anything out of the ordinary just the same as the last decade i guess i tried doing my placements for the new um competitive season but in three out of the i think i played like seven matches out of those seven three of them people left so i just kind of rage quit and i haven't touched it since so yeah that that crushed my ranking a little bit so i'm not happy right now i've just been playing borderlands instead to forget about it yeah i'm waiting till the big group of people who come back from uh winter break at least at the school come back and then we could all queue up together because um, a lot of them are back at home, so if we were to queue up right now, we would all have different ping and probably mess with each other's like server balance. So we're all just gonna wait, yeah, for a little bit. So during this time, we'll get into it um, later on in this episode, but we'll be talking about the map pool. Um, so it gives me a little bit of time to be like, okay, this is the map pool. Got to think about it and uh, how we're gonna be playing it. Mm-hmm. Have you been playing anything outside of Overwatch? Or has it just been uh, the the games that you picked up from Black Friday? For Christmas, um, my sister's boyfriend friend uh, gave me Rainbow Six Siege. And they were like, oh, we should, we should all play this. Because he comes from a Counter-Strike background. And that's a very tactical shooter. And I come from an Overwatch background. And, you know, I, I just, like, run out in front and get used to having abilities that will save me. But... Now that I have to be more of a tactical player, I have to be like, okay, I can't peek this corner. <laughs> can't can't do this. Got to be quiet. So, yeah. It's a completely different mindset. 
like with me playing Borderlands, it's just like I just run out there and charge up my shotgun and just blast everybody till they explode, <clears throat> which is a very different play style than Overwatch because considering I'm mostly a tank and a healer right now, like I don't get to run out and just blow stuff up. Okay, shall we get into the, the news of the week? Yep, let's do it. All righty then. Uh, since you found this news, you want to you wanna lead into it? Yeah, we, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the uh, the whole podcast. Uh, as you heard, Season 20, the map pool is out, and it has switched from Season 19. There are a couple maps that do uh, carry over. There's five of them, but the other ones are all completely new. So I guess we'll just kind of go down the list, start out with the uh, Assault maps or the two CPs. Um, so we have Temple of Anubis, um, Hanamura, and Volskaya Industries. So those are the three for that. Um, and then for Escort, we have Havana, Dorado, and Rialto. And then for Hybrid, we have Kings Row, Eichenwald, and Numbani. And then for Capture Point, we have Busan, Ilios, and Oasis. So a lot of different maps. Five of the maps from Season 19, they've been removed from the pool. Five maps have been removed from the pool, and we've rotated in other maps. So there are some that like I'm really excited to see. For example, like I'm really a big fan of Eichenwald. It's one of my favorite maps to play because I'm very comfortable on it. And Ilios. I'm, I'm glad that Ilios is now in the rotation. Um, but then there's some that I just like, uh, you know, like, um, for me specifically, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, of Havana or, um, I like Havana. I feel like it's just so hard to take that last point. Like I'm okay with Rialto. I think that's okay. Um, but everybody has like maps that they love and maps that they hate, but I do have an idea of how this might affect the meta. I'm a fan of everything on here except for Volskaya. I, I can't stand Volskaya. I don't know why. It's just whenever I'm playing on that map, it's it's a struggle. And also, Season 20 is the second time that we're getting a limited map pool, right? Season 19 was the first time? Yeah, so we had a limited map pool for Season 19, and that was the first time that they actually rolled it out and implemented it, so... Now that we're on season 20, we're switching up a couple maps here and there. Um, I'm glad that we don't have Paris in this rotation. That would have that would have made me cry. Um, Paris or uh, Lunar Colony. I can't I can't play those maps. Not not a happy camper on those. Yeah, I, I would have just been really sad if it was like for two CP. It was just Volsky Industries, Horizon Lunar Colony, or Paris. <laughs> it's just all three of them. Just- Oh, I would have hated the season so much. Yeah, it would have just taken forever. And so so you were saying you have an idea how this is going to affect the meta? Yes, I, I do. This is tinfoil hat time for Kanashi, but I do feel like a lot of these maps have very long sight lines. So I feel like we might be going back into like a meta where the Widowmaker would be a really interesting pickup. Um just because the long sight lines could be so abused in this like time at, at the moment. Um, like Volskaya has a couple of really cheeky peak points. Um, same thing with like uh, Dorado point two. That's just really hard to push if you don't have any form of like pressure. Uh, Numbani as well. So there's just a lot of long sight lines on these map map picks that they have. So if you have a person who's really good at Widow, uh, start putting them on there. Another thing that this might enable 
I'm I'm just saying because there's long sight lines, um, dive might help in terms of trying to isolate others. But we will see how teams are coordinated and if they are going to be able to try to roll that out. Our next bit of news is the Florida Mayhem have officially changed their colors. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, how they were kind of teasing it out. It wasn't officially confirmed yet, but it's now been confirmed. They're ditching the McDonald's mustard and ketchup for a black and neon blue and pink look, which I really like. So officially, um, they're getting also a bunch of new in-game skins, of course, because um, we do have our owl skins in-game. Uh, I think they look a lot cooler than uh, what the previous ones looked like. I especially really like the the Sigma skin. Officially, what's going to happen, I believe, is that um, we'll have up to, I think, January 15th or 16th, somewhere around there, to if you so happen to want to purchase the old Florida Mayhem skins to buy those. And then after that, it's just going to be um, switched to the the new skins. My question is, is again, like it feels like a lot of these teams that are recoloring themselves are stepping on the toes of the other teams. Because if you, if you think back, like there's another team that looks very similar to this. It's the, the Gongso charge or the Hungso charge have a very similar color they're kind of a more pastel pink and blue and a white but it's 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 weird how the recolors are so similar to each other yeah i i do agree with that a little bit like the florida mayhem just took like the the light color from the spark and the slightly darker color from the charge and just were like yeah let's just put this together um but at the same time like the blue the blue and pink neon kind of colors kind of reminds you of like the nightlife of uh, Miami. And that was why the Miami yeah. heat even have a color that's kind of like this. Um, so I feel like it attaches itself more to the, to the region that they're representing, which is smart. Um, but I do agree that it could be stepping on the toes of other teams. Um, but I guess as long as the league approves it and says, okay, yeah, we're fine with this, then we'll, we'll go for it. I'll bring this up now just because like it it happened over the weekend and I didn't watch a lot of it, but there was a tier two or was it tier two or tier three um, tournament hosted by the Florida Mayhem uh, this weekend. V flight was one of the spectators on it. So uh, he he let me know about it after the whole thing finished in typical V flight (laughs) fashion. Um, But yeah, they had the, um, the mayhem winter classic, um, and congratulations to the Sky Foxes, who used to be the Seattle Sky Foxes, but they had to take the t- the town name out of it. Um, so, yeah, congrats to them. Tier 2 team doing really well, um, representing the West. Um, and the finals was them versus Third Impact. Didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I, I do want to just say good job for putting it all together and uh, having a solid lineup of uh broadcast gg members up there on the casting team hooray go whatever lower tier overwatch we have left we support you yeah for sure like this is tier two and tier three team so just really glad that they were able to put something together kind of give us a show to look out for especially during this downtime where there's nothing going on in the league 
continuing with league news, uh, our next story is that um, Jay Sinatra Juan, who is kind of the golden boy of Overwatch League right now, um, he posted on his Twitter that he was taxed 55% of his grand finals earnings. So he made, I think, 110000 off of the Overwatch League grand finals for stage two. 55% of that is... 60,500. He has 49,500 left. That's like not that much, honestly. People, a lot of the time, I've seen a lot of um, posts online that are kind of complaining about players in, in esports and how everyone thinks that they're super rich and super wealthy, but like, no, you're they're getting taxed a lot because these are kind of considered um, bonus earnings or, or like winnings from. Uh, sports games or whatever. I'm not exactly sure how American tax law works, but a lot of that gets taken away. Like on game shows and stuff, someone might win, say, $100,000, but I think about half of that gets taken away from taxes. It's kind of disappointing to see that Sinatra didn't get to keep the money that he won. Yeah, I do understand and agree with that as well. Like he he went home with $110,000 and that should be it but we do understand that the u.s at least has some strict uh, tax rules when it comes to like winnings and earnings at least he's going home with something but like still to be a a champion and to have like 55 percent of it taxed away it, it really does hurt so i guess moving on to i think what i think is the one of the biggest stories to come out of the overwatch league in a while um, there, there's been quite a shakeup in the roster of what our on-air talent's going to be next year. So Monte Cristo, Puckett, and Doa are leaving the Overwatch League. There's a lot of different speculation as to why they're leaving and whether or not it is in line with what they're actually saying. Um, Monty at least said that he's got creative differences with the league after um, the commissioner, Nate Nanzer, left, and he wants a little bit more career growth. Puckett. Uh, said that his wife got a promotion, so he's stepping away from the league because he's moving to he's staying in New York with her, and so he's not going to be able able to cast from the West Coast. So he's just going to be freelancing. It's not the end for him. It's just uh, it's not my permanent job anymore. And Doa said a lot of the same things. A lot of uh, it's not the same without Nate Nanzer. He's also just going to be freelancing a little bit. Um, Brendan's sideshow are going to be casting this season and we know that Jake is coming up, but also ZP who has casted with him before is going to be his, uh, casting partner for this season on the league outside of what the actual people in the league are saying. Um, there are different journalists or reporters or people who know the industry who are, who have their own ideas as to what's going on here. Some people said this is a a very bad sign for the league. So there's a Dexerta article by Richard Lewis that um, his argument is that a lot of these people leaving the league is a terrible thing. It it shows that there's not really a future for Overwatch. It's going to make investors very nervous. Liz Richardson, who's a reporter for Dot Esports, is saying that this isn't something to be worried about. It's just showing that there's a uh, different mobility in the league that people can uh, move up and out like Jake and Custa. Um, it's not a reason to be worried. It's just 
normal movement with within an industry. There's an, there's other people who are saying that um, due to insider knowledge, what actually happened is a lot of these people are leaving because the league offered them a worse deal than they had now, less pay for the work that they're doing. So it's it, it's not good for their career to do that, to accept less for the work that they already do. Yeah, I, I this is very worrying for me personally, just because to have so many people leaving en masse is never a good sign. Like when, like when you're at a workplace, if you see that there are massive turnovers all within a very short period of time, that's always a warning sign. And considering how little support Tier 2 Overwatch and Tier 3 Overwatch have been getting, coupled with, the, I guess, the mass exodus and all these big shakeups just in time for Overwatch League to be trying out their whole travel schedule thing, this is a lot of change in a short amount of time. And I think it should be worrying for investors. I don't know if that worry is warranted. Yeah, I do agree that it doesn't sound necessarily the most attractive um, for the league at the moment. It's just because when you have like high quality talent, especially Monte Cristo, Puckett and Doa, like these guys were here from the beginning of Overwatch League and have been giving their voice and their input on the league since the start. And with them leaving, I I do understand that uh, I think... Once again, it all leads back to Nate Nanzer. The fact that uh, once he left, a lot of these talents feel uncomfortable and um, they don't feel like this could be something that's going in their favor. So I do understand if they wanted to to leave or to pursue other opportunities. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing them on other events or even if they do start covering um other games I, still follow them because they're they're great casters they know exactly what they want to talk about so i just hope that that's the direction that they end up going they stay in the esports realm um but if not i just good luck to them i mean the good thing about this is that um at least for um doa and for Puckett. They said that they're not officially done with Overwatch. I think Monty's the only one who's completely done with the league. But at least those two are open to freelancing for it. And um, with Puckett, at least he, his reason is that he his, he's going to be with his wife because of her work. So that's not as concerning. With Monty gone, it, it kind of, people were saying it made sense for Doe to leave because they were, they've been partners for years. Mm-hmm. So if one's gone, it's not going to be the same with the other. But just the three of them going together, like individually, their reasons kind of make sense and aren't as concerning. But all at once is a lot to take in. Just having like, I, once again, you said like a kind of a mass exodus of this talent. Um, it makes it really difficult for the league to be like, this is, oh, this is just coincidental that they're all leaving. How do you think this is going to affect viewership right now? Because I, I don't imagine that the very beginning of next season's going to be very smooth because they're still figuring out all this homestand stuff. They're still figuring out um, the new casting pairs and there's going to be two arenas going on in one day for, for the two dual homestand thing that they're doing. I think the lack of familiarity and consistency might turn away some of the, the older viewership. Like I read in 
Doa's uh, goodbye letter, like he was here when Overwatch League was just an idea on a uh, PowerPoint. So it, it's a it's an empty hole. It's like the founders are are leaving. If you've ever seen Hamilton, it's like that moment where Washington says he's leaving. It's it's that the founders are are stepping away from their creation and people are wondering how is it going to survive without the people who put their blood, sweat and tears to make it an actual viable thing. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of sad to know that these guys have been here from the beginning. They this is kind of their baby and now they're going to have to leave it. Um and if anything, I feel like this opens up it should have opened up a slot for new talent. With this dual homestand thing, I feel like even the casting desk has to be split up in a way where um, if they do have analysts, right, they're probably going to all be in one spot. Um, or are they going to have dual, like, separate analysts at each place going over different games? It's kind of a brain boggle in that way, how they don't know... You know, at least I'm not 100% confident on the run of show here, but we'll see. They might prove me wrong when it comes down to the homestands. You know what be really interesting? Like, first off, we already know that the path to pro does not work in Overwatch League, but it'd be really interesting to, like, see a path to pro for for their casting and for their analysis, just to see how the different personalities would mesh and to see what it's like getting different people talking about Overwatch. The whole homestand thing is just so complicated. There's just so many what-ifs and first times to be doing right now. Like, I mean, they'd have to do it eventually, but this early in the league's history, like, we're not even five years old. We're only three years old right now. Like... I, I know we've we've talked about this before, but do you think that the timing was right for them to do it? I think they should have waited a little bit just to just to be a little bit more established and understand what they're doing. If they went one more season with them, maybe at Blizzard Arena, maybe at some new place, like, um, or honestly, like, what if they just went like fifty fifty? They had one in L.A., they had one in New York, right? Um, and then, like, the East East Coast teams only have to fly to New York. They play in that half. They play in their region. And then on occasion, you'll fly one over, right? Uh, you'll fly one over to Blizzard Arena, and then you'll have the other one fly out to New York for a homestand, kind of. Um, that way, you reduce travel time, but you're also kind of accommodating for both sides of the ocean. Um, or both sides of the country. We're uh, kind of middle ground. So... I feel like that would have been like a smarter move. Um, it would have given that quote unquote homestand feel um, where you have like two places that you can call home and you're accommodating for the East Coast um, a little bit more than just having everybody come out to only L.A. If you wanted to make it more of a global thing um, and draw audiences from uh, from different locales, like one in L.A., one in New York one somewhere in Europe and one somewhere in Asia that that still gives you enough of a locational appeal and proximity to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to go watch Overwatch League in person but it also makes the whole travel and 
an international thing a little bit more manageable. I'm just still not sold as to whether Homestance is going to be successful. I like the idea of expanding to making this an international thing where people across the world don't have to travel to LA to see live esports played. I think if done well, it could definitely bring a lot more fans to the esports world and serves to help legitimize the industry. But I really think that they went too big too fast with this. Once again, like I just want to bring this up as a little bit of a reminder to everybody. There, they did split the conferences into four divisions. So there was it used to be, just be Atlantic and Pacific division, right? Um, right. But now they've split it again into Atlantic North and South and Pacific West and East. So if you do Pacific Conference. Once again, you have four main homestands. You have four places where players can just all go. So it, it would be like this, I guess. Um, so for the Eastern Pacific Division, it is all the Asia-based teams. So Seoul, uh, Hangzhou, Guangzhou, um, Chengdu, and Shanghai. So you could have, I would say, probably you build a homestand area in Seoul, Korea, or in Shanghai, right? Um, one of the places that will draw a lot more attention. Um, the Western Pacific, you could still keep that in LA um, because that's still that's Dallas. The two LA teams, uh, San Francisco and Vancouver, so that would be all kind of still LA. You just keep keep the same locale um, for Southern Atlantic Division. That's the Atlanta Rain, Florida Mayhem, Houston Outlaws, Washington Justice, and the Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, the Philly Fusion kind of have their own arena, so you know, just go there. Um, and then Northern Atlantic Division, that's Boston Uprising, New York Excelsior, Toronto Defiant, London Spitfire, and the Paris Eternal. So I could see that either going to London, because they were the champions of Season 1, or New York, as it is one of the main central hubs for a lot of the Overwatch stuff. So I honestly, I do agree. They're moving too fast. Um, but I feel like if they were to go somewhere further than, you know, just, okay, no more Blizzard Arena only, right? Um, it would have been smarter if they just put one main locale in each of the new divisions. And it would have, it would have, first of all, made travel time less, less hampering. You have teams, if you want to play other teams that are still in your division, they just kind of fly over. Or, you know, you do have the home crowd advantage if you're, out there and you don't always have to play in your specific division either you know that you can have teams fly across the sea and go play in in seoul or whatever um right. but it's less pressure it's uh, it's a lot less pressure and we got to well we'll get into that later with the london spitfire miles um but yeah it, it would have probably been a lot easier and probably a lot less of a burden on the teams okay so you, you mentioned it Let, let's get into um, so the Spitfire are going to be estimated to be traveling about 76,000 miles for Overwatch League in Season 3. In comparison, the LA Lakers are traveling 40,000 miles. Like, I'm not, I'm personally not sure what the uh, the comparison was for there, but like, that's double how much they're going to be traveling, as opposed to like having them all have been in the same place. Just think about all that, that time, the the fuel cost, the carbon emission, the money that's going into this now. Like had had we just 
gone back to our our tinfoil hat hypothetical four main locations where Overwatch League could have been located per division, it would have been so much smarter just to do it that way. I'm still iffy about the homestands, but the places that they're planning on hosting these events, what is their internet like? It's just because, like, imagine if you go to a place, like, perfect locale, perfect everything, right? But the the broadband or the bandwidth that's going out to Twitch, complete garbage, right? You could have the best homestand in the world, but if it's not high quality enough for Twitch or even for people to watch, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people quick. So, yeah, that's one thing that you you don't have that as an option to control. Um, But that, you know, that's what you get for setting up homestands like this. Um, But at the same time, uh, yeah, having 76,000 miles is ridiculous. Um, It's, you know, almost two times as much as the Lakers. We do understand that, you know, uh, the Lakers are only traveling within the U.S., but still, that's a ridiculous amount of fuel. And in my opinion, the one thing that's going to hurt them more than the fact that, you know, they're burning a hole in the ozone layer, um, it is the fact that while the players are flying, being jet lagged, you're not practicing. When you're in the air, there's no Wi-Fi there. You're going to have to, like, while you're on the plane, you're going to either be studying material via video, like that's your VOD review time, or you're sleeping and you're learning how to get used to the whole time zone. So it's a lot to think about. To piggyback off the internet thing that you said, like they're hosting two homestands in the same weeks, right? It's going to be two matches in one homestand, then two matches in another homestand one day. And then the next thing, the same, the next day. What if in one of the matches, the internet is just kaput. It's not working and they have to, they have to hold. Like, what are they going to do for the broadcast of that match? Are they going to, they're not going to hold the, the other homestand for that, are they? You, you just do one homestand, I think. I think you just show, you expedite the schedule of just one. And then you live to, I guess, live to tape the other one. Uh, if that makes any sense, just like essentially you just record it and save it as a VOD. And yeah. then just be like, okay, so they did their whole thing. From a, previous, a prior podcast. Exactly. Like, that's, what, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's just the more we peck at this, the more problems I think we're finding. Yeah, and we won't know until you know, the first home stand in February. Um, and like, yeah, I, I want to do this. I want to go out and go to this home stand, but at the same time, I don't know how good the production is going to be. Like, um, from the fact that I came from a broadcasting background, it does scare me that I'm glad that they're being ambitious, but at the same time, I'm a little bit skeptical when it comes to how reliable the signal is going to be when it comes back to the audience who's going to want to watch it from their bedroom. Have you traveled before for for um, Overwatch or for, for competing? Uh, the only time that I've done traveling for Overwatch specifically was we went to DreamHack Atlanta. Um, I yeah. was invited by a company 
to do casting for 1v1. Um, and that was a great experience, honestly. Um, I got to spend three days in the city of Atlanta, saw four Chick-fil-A's, uh, saw what a Waffle House looks like. Uh, I got to see two whale sharks at the world's largest aquarium. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's something that it's enriching for sure. Being able to travel around for, um, for Overwatch and for gaming in general. But at the same time, the time in the air was kind of hectic. Like, um, imagine now having to do that for 76,000 miles. Like I could, I could barely sit still in an eight hour flight, let alone like one that's going to be going overseas to China and all that. Like you're going to have players who are just going to be sick of it at some point. Yeah. Like I, I traveled for, for mock trial for college for three years and Oh my God. Like it's cool going to different places, but just the the whole process of travel is exhausting and insane and there's a reason why eventually people just like hate traveling and there's a reason why there's a separate business class for people who have to do this like as a daily weekly thing it's it's not luxurious really in any way like a lot of people romanticize traveling for work but from the little that i've seen it it's a monster and when I when I was looking up what people thought about this story in the comment section, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo for them. Like, they're getting paid to fly to these places and play video games. But it's like, think of the toll that it's having on their body. Like, they're, they're in a new place. It's like, if you've ever been in a hotel and felt uncomfortable because it's like, it's not your ho- it's not your house. You don't really know how clean the bed is the bathroom's not your bathroom. You don't know the last time they actually thoroughly cleaned it. Um, you're getting used to the cuisine there, the the time zone there, the bacteria there and everything. It's like, just, it's not good for your body. So, uh, I, I, I don't think this is going to be good for performance for these teams when they're practicing and they're playing like if there's going to, if there's a disproportionate amount of home team wins to um, away team wins, even for teams that should be winning, especially for teams that should be winning against their matchups. Like I think that there, if not, if not a direct provable causation, there's a strong correlation to this travel. That's the one thing that I'm really afraid of is just like more player burnout. If anything, this could put a lot of stress on, the players for having to perform at such a high level in an unfamiliar environment. Um, when, you know, the plus about blizzard arena is that like, it's everybody's home. It's everybody's like main arena. You go there. That's like the office. You go there, you perform. Um, but now with this new homestand thing, everybody's going to either be like, would you even consider the place that you're playing in for your homestand, your home, if you're only there for two or four matches, right? Yeah. Like, you're only there for a little bit. It's just, it's so much stress that's not necessary. I, I'm predicting that there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of suffering in, in gameplay 
because of how tired these kids are going to be. And like, sure, it may make for some funny like brain fart moments, but like quality of play wise, I think that this is going to really take us hold on what we're going to see. Or if we don't have our jobs by 2021, we could all say we told you so. Yep. So, yep. yeah, I guess it goes both ways. That's the risk I'm feeling right now. It's like, after this season, Kevin, are you and me going to still have this podcast? Uh, or... I hope so. <laughs> oh, that's not funny. It's actually <laughs> kind of scary. Why am I laughing at that? It It's one of those things where you don't realize how bad it is until you actually talk it out and realize how bad it is. Like, yeah. Um, for Overwatch specifically, at least, um, if anything, I feel like this is a great case study. If you're like a psychology, like a sports psychology major, like right mm. now is the time to like write your thesis. It's like the effects of home court yeah. or the effects of travel on player performance. Like you're going to have a, a great paper right there. This would actually be fascinating to study. Yeah, to just see yeah. how these players are either adapting or not to their environment um, and how much impact it really does have on their performance. Cause right now, at least um, we know what some of the teams are capable of performing. Um, like the San Francisco shock are capable of becoming a, like a star team. But if you do see moments where they slip up or if they're like maybe fatigued um, after playing back to back, you could understand like, Hey, this could be the fact that they traveled a few thousand miles over the sea. Okay. Two more stories. I think that we have left. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, as most of you hopefully all know right now, Australia's on fire. Like literally all of Australia. There's like 110 fires, I think, that are currently raging right now. Um, almost 30 people dead, some more missing, almost a half a billion. Yes, half a billion animals gone, entire species extinct. Um, so that's terrible. Uh, but the, the whole calamity and people are looking for ways to, to donate or to raise funds for Australia. Um, some players in Overwatch had the idea to petition Blizzard to release special um, Junkrat and Roadhog skins to support funds, uh, raising funds for Australia like they did for the Mercy Breast Cancer Awareness skin. Um, I think that would be really cool. But also there's a part of me that's just like, you could also just donate if you wanted to donate. You don't have to really receive anything if you want to help. Like at this point, you're just buying a skin and the donation helps you feel better about yourself. Um, but also uh, Custa, who uh, he's actually Australian. So um, he hosted a, a stream for charity. He raised 10000 $345.61, which is great. That's a fantastic amount of money raised. Good on you. Um, just as a, as a fun comparison, um, there's a girl who's, I think her Twitter handle is the Naked Philanthropist, but um, by 
tweeting that she'd tweet, uh, she'd send uh, nudes to anyone who sent $10 to any um, Australian charity that's fighting these fires. She raised $700,000 so far. Good on Custa for raising what he did. Um, I don't think anyone was asking to see Custa naked, so yeah. Um, well, what is your take on the, the call to have the charity skins? I feel like it would be a really interesting it would be a cool thing of blizzard to do um but then again you could also look at it as a way of there's two ways of looking at it like the the first way is it would be helpful and it would raise money for um for australia and the fires but you could also look at it as like oh blizzard's just trying to cash in on people paying money for skins it's really a lose-lose situation for them. Blizzard's not saying that they're going to do it. It's like people are saying, "Hey Blizzard, if you do this, we'll pay you." Yeah, I'm if they if they decide to do it, that's cool. Like that's all on them and that's a really cool idea and concept. Um but yeah, if we end up looking later down the line it could be bad, but I just hope that it doesn't. <laughs> what do you think what do you think the skins might look like if they did it? Would it be like firefighter roadhog and uh and junkrat it it goes kind of against their whole thing, but I mean uh yeah. roadhog has a has a shark skin I mean that kinda kinda would help I was thinking like a junkrat as a kangaroo and roadhog as a koala because there's a lot of um images right now of like the burned koalas and kangaroos. I think that would be a fun skin to see if they did it which they don't have to do it. And also like people like you can just donate. That's an option. Yeah. If you really did want to help, uh, I, I don't say I'm, I'm not pushing your hand, but yeah, the nude philanthropist is a thing. If you want something for your donation, um, you, you can go through there or you could just, you know, donate straight ahead. Just be a good person. Um, but if you can't even donate, just show your support for Australia. They definitely need, any help that they can get, especially during these hard times. We're, we're no strangers to wildfires either on the side of the, on, on the coast, yeah. but in California, uh, we just had our own really big series of fires. And like, I thought those were bad, but I, I have a friend in Australia and she was telling me about it. And it's like, it's like, apparently the fires and smoke are so bad that Australia is having its own unique weather patterns right now, just because of all that. Um, this is scary stuff. Like she was telling me that in Australia, the like they're predicting that it's going to take maybe 10 years to even like get close to rebuilding to what they were before just because of how bad it is and how much wild land has been burned. Um, not a good time praying for people in Australia. I really hope that all of you are staying safe and that somehow this comes to a, a resolution very soon. Um, I think the last story for this week is YouTube is changing its um, terms of service. Uh, and this is going to probably affect a lot of the small to mid channels, including the channels that are um, streaming Overwatch or have Overwatch content. So what YouTube is doing is they're not allowing targeted ads on videos for kids. Um, just because of a lot of the controversy that's been going around with inappropriate content going to kids, kids being 
targeted for ads or whatnot. whatnot. Um, I believe YouTube did get in trouble because they're not supposed to be targeting ads for kids, but they were explicitly saying like, hey, our targeted market is under 12. Like you can sell ads to entice them, which they're not supposed to do. Um, so according to the FTC, there are three kinds of um, categories that they could classify videos. There's the for kids, general audience, and not for kids. YouTube has decided to completely ignore the general audience category. So now, um, according to this video that I saw from Blame the Controller, um, you have to either classify your video as being for kids or not for kids. And like, there's literally no room in between. And the, the problem with this is that you can label your stuff, like regardless of what your intent is, if your video has, say, say you're doing an Overwatch video, right? And you make some some jokes or crude stuff or whatever, or it's like you're talking about things that a kid wouldn't possibly be interested in, like like stats or whatever, or or metas or whatnot, like we do. Um, the FTC is completely in charge of whether or not your stuff is accurately labeled as for kids or not for kids. And the problem with that is much like for the MPAA with motion pictures, it's a completely arbitrary thing. You've got either a panel of people or just one person at the FTC who's going to look at your video and and decide whether or not you're wrong. And if you mislabel something according to them as not for kids when it's really for kids, you can be fined up to $46,000. So that's really going to hurt some channels that don't have that kind of cash, even if their intent was it's not be for kids. Because like, I, I still think that we're in the age where there's still enough old people kicking around out there who are like, oh, video games are just for kids. Um, so if they see a video that's Overwatch related, that someone labels not for kids, and they're not really paying attention. They just see the bright, flashy colors and say, this is supposed to be for kids. That's an issue. That's a big problem. Um, and like there already exists a YouTube kids app. So I think this is a little bit overkill. I understand that YouTube is just trying to cover themselves after all the issues they've had in the past. And like a lot of the big channels, they don't really care because they either have the money to fight it or to pay the fine, or they already have their established audience, so they're okay. But this is just gonna this is gonna hurt YouTube, I think, as a platform in not just for Overwatch, but for content creators in general. Yeah, in my downtime, I like to watch a lot of the YouTube animators uh, or animatics. So people kind of like the odd ones out, Jaden Animations something else yt like those kind of guys um same thing with like domix and emerichu but they're artists who talk about like very nice stories that can apply to kids and would be nice if kids could hear it but like even if they go into like a topic that wouldn't be considered for kids would that mean that they have to curve all of their stuff to be either for kids or not for kids um and then even if they say it's not for kids, but it happens to have kid-friendly stuff, like what does that mean, right? Um, 
it just makes it a lot harder for content creators on the platform uh to really find their audience like what if my audience is like teenagers like are they kids (laughs) or are they not kids um yeah what do teenagers count as like teens react right like the old fine bro stuff like is that Mm -hmm. for kids or not for kids um maybe the content that they're watching isn't necessarily for kids but like the basic reaction stuff is for kids you don't know yeah anytime you try to censor or legislate the creation and distribution of of content it just creates even more trouble It, it really takes away a lot of the earning potential and ability and freedom of content creators like this happened a lot back in the the 50s and and whatnot where people were concerned about the kind of content that was on tv some people thought it was too violent and like they mandated a a children's hour of television between i think i think it was like between seven to nine there's like a, a block of children's programming that was like legally mandated and i mean content creators fought back and the studios fought back and it was repealed as unconstitutional so th- this is an interesting thing is how long is this going to stand up because this takes away um a lot of people's ability to monetize because they're not allowed to have ads if they're making content geared towards younger people and without that general audience category and without the ability to dictate what their stuff is targeted for then where where is your ability to make money it, it, you're you're facing a $46,000 fine or a $42,000 $42,000 fine sorry $42,000 if the FCC thinks you're wrong where what makes you want to create for youtube anymore and like i've never been fond of like the youtube creator culture i have my issues with it um but this impacts people as a whole not just the people that i dislike like a lot of the the good smaller content channels a lot of people who are just starting out who are actually trying to make good content like what happens to them do you think that Twitch is going to be the out the the out for this? Um considering that, you know, you get monetized on Twitch by viewers. It doesn't matter what you put up there. Um as long as you do label yourself like mature content if you talk about a or like have like a rated R game. Like that's the only other thing. So we'll right. see. Right. I mean, as long as you're not as long as you're not getting in trouble, like some of the, um, like some Twitch streamers will do for like showing their underwear or whatnot. Like you, you'll see a lot of news stories about a Twitch streamer who got banned for that. Um, I think as long as your content isn't that, I think Twitch might be the new outlet for that. I think YouTube's going to suffer a lot from this. Yeah. I, I think Twitch or there might be another platform that'll come up, but I I don't think YouTube personally, I don't think YouTube's going to do well for this. Um, But I mean, that's what people said about uh, Tumblr when the NSFW ban happened on Tumblr and like 
I don't know. Like, it's still around, I guess. People were estimating that Tumblr would just completely collapse, but it's it's still here. So um, maybe YouTube will weather the storm. Maybe they'll tweak it before um, any real lasting damage happens to their brand. I don't want to, like, draw the circles here, but people who went from Vine initially went from Vine to YouTube after Vine shut down, right? So right. does that mean... Oh man, uh, tinfoil hat time. Uh, if YouTube dies, does everybody move to TikTok? Oh no, I was and trying the, to avoid saying that. And the, or okay, honestly, I would like to see it go more towards Vimeo. Vimeo is like where people would upload, like at least cinematographers and people in the film industry. Yeah, it's a lot of film artsy stuff. So. I don't think that will be the new platform for for YouTube. I feel like if you're a really good content creator or somebody who's like creating stories and stuff like that, you can go to Vimeo and still be okay there. But I do understand if that's not necessarily the case. Like like think if if this instead of being a a podcast was like a YouTube channel that we had like I wouldn't consider us kids content, but I also wouldn't consider us like adult content. Like we'd probably more comfortably fit under a general audience thing, but we don't have that. So where would we classify ourselves? We're talking about a video game. So even if we, we said that we're adult, we're not, we're adult content. Like we could be deemed wrong by the FCC or, or does us like mentioning in this episode, like the naked philanthropist, does that make us adult content? I mean, episode 18 was definitely adult content, but stuff like that. I feel like we just, I feel like if it's just not a hundred percent G rated, it has to be rated not for kids. Like even if you're PG, I don't think you could get away with it being not for kids. But what happens when the FCC comes in and says, no, you are for kids. But that That's a tough thing. Like, like if the FTC says no, you're wrong about your own content. I feel like the only the only downside is if you label yourself for kids and you're not for kids. I feel like it doesn't work the other way around. A, a cop out that I I read people talking about is like, if you really wanted to make it clear that you're not for kids, it's just start every episode by swearing a lot and talking about just senseless vulgarity. Just to like say, ha, FTC, we're not for kids. And then continue with your regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, but then it becomes a question of like, when is it like just straight up vulgarity for no reason? Um, and if every if every single content creator had to start out with something like that, would that just become like the new, hey guys, it's your boy. It's just like, nah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like people will just go out and have like a pre uh like a essentially like a like an opening where they just say like the most obscene thing possible and then just dodge or I'm not just... happy with with YouTube here. I think it's I think they're they're covering their their tracks a little too hastily. Um I'm not sure why they didn't allow the general audience um classification here. I think if they did that, there would really be no problem. 
but we are not the powers that be at the YouTubes. So, <laughs> I mean, our logic doesn't matter here. Yeah, and I'm just going to say this right now. Um, Twitch and YouTube are very like dependent on each other in a way. Um, a lot of streamers on Twitch, like I understand like there's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into freaking contracting clauses here. I hope this doesn't bother our audience, but um if you're an affiliate or a partner, Twitch owns your content for 24 hours after you're done broadcasting it. So even if there's like a sick like headshot flick that you wanted to upload onto YouTube, you have to wait 24 hours before you can release it onto YouTube, correct? But in order to get people to watch your next stream, you have to create YouTube content so that you can drag people from either one, either side. Um, if you're a Twitch streamer and you're not making YouTube videos um, and you get banned by Twitch, you have nothing else to go off of, right? Um, same thing for YouTube. What if YouTube bans you? Well, you still have all your Twitch followers. You have all that. So there's a whole bunch of just fail safes that now that it feels like YouTube is starting to cut off some of the content creators, where do you go? You go to Insta, you go to Instagram, make like 30 second clips, just highlights only. Um, or are you going to be moving on to Vimeo or some other random thing? Just go to Reddit. Like, I don't know. Okay. Everybody now goes on to, uh, on to just streaming platforms, guys. We're just, we're just gonna, we're all podcasting now. Just take your, take your stream clips and podcast them, I guess. <laughs> Is this the uh, is this the rise of the Calypso twins? Is this how Tyrene and Troy Calypso take over the the Borderlands with their like, subscribe, and obey nonsense? Yeah, I hope that this isn't the way how it goes. But um, if anything, I feel like YouTube should just be like, if it is a hundred percent, just only check the ones that say for kids, right? And just if if it's bad. Like if it's not a hundred percent G rated, you boot it. But if it if it just says not for kids, right? Just leave it alone because that means that it's just disqualified from being on the kids YouTube thing. But also, like, then no one's gonna put it on kids because they can't uh they can't monetize. Exactly, except for the people who want it just for kids. Or do you think that uh, content creators will get smart? about it and create two channels one where it's like 100 percent kid friendly only and then the other one where they can get into like kind of deeper stuff i feel like if you made like a not safe or not safe for work just like a just a not yeah not safe for kids nsfk right version of it and then you just cut out like the small things that make it say for kids then you just drop that in if it makes sense then go for it yeah i mean just basic like swearing and stuff i think you could pull out but if it's important to the story you might have to leave it in and just not have it for the kids i feel like that's just too much work that's just extra work i don't need to do but yeah i do understand the whole dilemma especially since i watch a lot of animators um their content for the most part is kid friendly but sometimes they do get into like um like situations that are NSFW, not necessarily NSFW, but like just not G rated. Just 
yeah it, it's just tough because you're literally dividing up the way how these content creators are going to be making money and it's it's really tough on them this has just not been a happy episode not a good way to start out the decade yeah not a great way to start off the decade but hopefully with overwatch league news and more stuff coming around the corner we can change pace oh god uh just quick update i i'm on twitter right now just checking some some stuff but like the naked philanthropist raised an estimated one million dollars off selling nudes for australia so um that's impressive uh use what you got i guess see and it uh, if we're gonna go down that rabbit hole uh if you're <laughs> it, are you a good person for helping australia if you're getting nudes <laughs> uh i don't know who's like who's the real winner here <laughs> like um i remember i think it was humble bundle uh they were selling like some of these like pervy games right it's like yeah i'm helping oh, charity man. but at the same time you're a perv like <laughs> i guess australia wins and i take the l it's it's one of those like i said i just 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 donate to Australia and then use the internet. Like, more power to her for what she did. Like, this is highly impressive, and I don't want to shame sex workers because sex work is work. And, like, just legalize it already. People are going to do it anyway. It makes it safer. That's a different discussion for a different day. But, like, just donate to Australia without the nudes, guys. Like, don't be skeezy. Don't be the one person who who paid $10 for nudes and is like, I helped Australia. The nude was free. The helping Australia was $10. <laughs> exactly. Don't do that, guys. Come on. Be classier than that. At least in that, in that situation, I at least hope you would have bought the Junkrat and Roadhog skin instead. I'm going to believe that is what you would have gone for if it was available i totally agree i just hope that uh your parents don't find it uh good luck uh (laughs) don't say it was for australia because you know that you got it for yourself smile um like i think if my kid did that like even as an adult i think i'd be more disappointed that he paid the ten dollars for it than the fact that he he received the nudes yeah it's free it's on the internet right like you don't need to you don't you're 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 paying for something that's free and uh i i guess you're helping australia question mark uh that's a big question mark (laughs) yeah just donate to australia if you want to help all right um are we good i think we're good our podcast is now officially not for kids (laughs) <laughs> not for kids alright um, will, we will see you next week guys have a, have a good week um, differentiate your content kids and not for kids and help Australia yep see ya next week we prepare for the Overwatch League season and discuss our experience with the meta for listening to this week's episode like what you hear please like rate and subscribe to us on itunes spotify google play stitcher luminary and TuneIn. and follow us on all social media 
at Believe in OWL. That's B-L-E-A-V and O-W-L. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. Interested in advertising with the show? Please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.